Welcome to the Getting Knighted Conversation hosted by Beth Chesterton with best-selling author Jill Farmer. Jill provides cutting-edge research as well as tips and tools for managing stress and time so that you can prevent burnout. You'll enjoy Jill's riveting journey from her hometown in Iowa to anchorwoman and Emmy Award-winning investigative journalist to coach and consultant to some of the country's sharpest minds. We join the call as Jill is sharing her definition for burnout. Enjoy. Burnout is, um, has, the definition has kind of evolved, interestingly, in the last couple of years. In 2019, the World Health Organization first identified burnout as a, a bona fide health condition. So that went from being this thing that people would banty about as like, oh, I need a vacation, I'm burned out, into uh, a little bit more of a serious discussion. And the components of burnout that were identified sort of by the, the, the World Health Authority around that time were... Um, are feelings of exhaustion. Um, I mean, really exhausted. Like no matter how much tr- no how much sleep somebody gets, they still feel like there's just not enough energy to do or to complete meaningful work that they have been able to do in the past. Um, feeling really negative, frustrated, uh, hopeless, passive aggressive, cranky. Those are things that come up. Um, having a hard time caring, um, even about situations that you had more interest in in the past hyperactive stress responses, which causes people to either kind of shut down or the inability to set things aside, uh, which can be another sign of of burnout. And then performance or what the experts call workplace efficacy, which is a fancy way of saying just not getting, doing things as well as I used to. So burnout is this, um, those symptoms to demonstrate an inability to show up as your best self. I think that's the, the, because of a period of overwork and a loss of interest and efficacy. All right. Well, you're doing a lot of work. Can you just, uh, before we dip into some of the specifics, Jill's going to actually give us tools and tips and cutting edge research to help us navigate these times. But tell us a little bit about the work you've been doing, for instance, with Harvard Medical School. The yeah, that's, yeah, because medical, you know, unfortunately, a lot of burnouts coming to the forefront because of series of research being done, you know, around the country, <laughs> looking at burnout in doctors, because uh, somebody said, I think doctors seem to be burning out at a higher rate than, than other people in other professions. And, and so some really smart people at great institutions started investigating that and they're like, oh gosh, darn it, that's true. And then we find out, yes, it's actually costing healthcare. Burnout is costing healthcare upwards of $46 billion a year. Oh, and gosh, um, it actually causes doctors to make three times more mistakes when they are in a state of burnout than when they're not. So there's a lot of consequences specifically to healthcare. I mean, it's burnout is happening in a whole bunch of different sectors. It's not just healthcare, but there's been a lot of research specifically there. So in an effort to try to help with burnout, um, different institutions and organizations in healthcare are, are taking initiatives to see how they can support doctors better. And Harvard Medical School, particularly surgeons at Harvard, um, launched a, a wellness initiative that included the ability to get some coaching for their surgeons um, around time and stress management. And I was lucky enough to be able to participate in that and coach surgeons around their time and stress management issues at Harvard Medical School, those who are on staff there as surgeons. And then I also had a chance in February before, you know, the world kind of uh, exploded on us um, to go to Harvard and do um, some grant, do a talk at Grand Rounds and some different programming talking about um, 
some ways to work through, particularly um, the activated stress state, which we know really contributes to burnout. I think it's important for everybody who's on the call to know that Harvard, it wasn't like a one hit wonder. They had Jill and it was a nice to have. They've actually had her back several times and for more intensive, you know, she keeps in several different capacities. Jill's been there when she talks about grand rounds. Tell us a little bit about this. These are the smartest doctors in the world. Some of the smartest doctors in the world. What are you doing when you're um, with them? Right. What am I doing? Because I'm certainly not one of the smartest doctors in the world and I never played one on TV. Um, it's simply trying to share a different perspective for people who um, partly just due to their nature of being extremely hardworking and brilliant and used to being able to sort of white knuckle and drive them way into wild success um, and, and achievement to help them get a different perspective to understand that that's probably not the most sustainable way for any of us, right? Overwork, and, um, and driving ourselves to try to be um, perfect is not a sustainable way to sort of show up in life and to thrive in our careers and our work. And sometimes it takes somebody from the outside to say, you know, you're great and you're doing meaningful work and you're saving lives and we want you to be able to do this for the long haul, not to burn yourself out so that you feel um, that you've lost your passion, you've lost your drive, and then your effectiveness, as we know, one of those components of burnout is not doing things that we are used to doing well as well. Um, and so it's, it's, it's meaningful work, whether I'm working with doctors at Harvard or whether I'm working with, um, you know, having a meaningful conversation with a neighbor. Um, I, you know, I, I am not the world's most chill person who is excellent at time management. I did not come to this work because this mm -hmm. came naturally to me. I came to this work because I sucked at it and I kept trying to overachieve my way and drive myself and push myself into getting past the point where I felt like I wasn't doing enough. And of course, what I did was just create higher and higher and higher levels of stress for myself and lower and lower levels of performance and meaningful relationships and all the things that I really wanted in my life. I was taking myself in the opposite direction. So I have a lot of compassion for anybody who's feeling burned out or stressed out, um, particularly in the um, extenuating circumstances that we're all experiencing right now. Um, it's not a, I'm really great at this. I'm going to tell you how to do it because this is so easy. It's, it's, I come at it with a lot of compassion and constantly a learner's mind um, to understand how to help all of us um, live a little bit um, more peacefully and mean, meaningfully and present and to embrace the plot twists instead of feeling like we're being abused by them in this one life we got to live. Well, I think that's really interesting what you're saying. And I'm sure a lot of people on this call, I know a lot of people on this call because I know many of you, are really high performance people. And Jill, talk a little bit about how you got into this work. I do think it's a really interesting story. And you know, well, Jill has a best-selling book, There's Not Enough Time and Other Lies We Tell Ourselves. Um, and I'm just curious, tell us a little bit about how you got to that place and how you came to that. Yeah, but that that um, is kind of a, a funny story, right? Because I, um, and by the way, if you want to feel good about yourself, get interviewed by Bess Chesterton, who's everybody's favorite uh, uh, cheerleader and promoter. So highly recommend it. It's very good for yourself. And it has, and it has the added benefit <laughs> of being true. What I'm saying is true. It's just Jill never brags. You know her. She's very humble. Um, so the... 
I was a TV reporter and anchor in St. Louis um, and in, in Des Moines before that. And when my kids uh, were little, I was really um, uh, sure that um, the reason that I was constantly stressed out and overwhelmed and was not the mother, wife, employee, citizen of the world um, that I wanted to be was because my job, I just, my job was too stressful and I just needed to change the circumstances of my life, move, make a chess move to get rid of the job. And then I was going to finally be, you know, the, the, um, that person that I wanted to be. And so I made what many consider to be kind of a radical change in my life. I left my job in TV news at kind of what some people would have considered the height of my career. I just won an Emmy. I just done, you know, these things. And, and, um, I'm after I came home and I tell this story in the first part of my book. So skip that part if you decide to get it, because now you know it. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, at, during that particular phase of my life, I stayed home. And about six months after I made that decision to stay home and leave behind the stress of my job, I woke up and I realized that that sensation in my gut of there's too much to do, not enough time to do it. How am I going to do it all was still there. And it was really hard, right? I call it, um, as J.K. Rowling says, it was a rock bottom moment, which I discovered was a fabulous foundation for which to begin to rebuild my life. Um, because I was like, wow, what if it isn't the circumstances in my life that are creating just the circumstances in my life? Certainly those were contributing factors. I'm not pretending they weren't. But I had changed the circumstances and I was still carrying a lot of that stress around. And that led, that led to a the last 15 or 16 years of my life journey, which was exploring what is going on in my brain that seems to create a sense of overwhelm and stress and, and, um, and agitation, even when I no longer have, you know, a story to file every night at 5 p.m. or um, sweeps periods to deal with during holidays and all those things that were contributing factors. So remember, well, for many of you, you know, she was an investigative journalist. That's at heart for Jill. And she's incredibly competent. We know that, but it goes back a long way, her competence. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But this investigative journalist within you then decided to figure out what the heck is going on and understand it better. If I'm not So well that she's now consulting with Harvard Medical School surgeons who are hanging on her every word. They're listening. They want more of it. So tell us a little bit about um, what is it right now when you're saying, what do we need to know? Like, I'm kind of, I don't know about you guys on the call, but talking about stress is reminding me of all the different ways I am not processing or experiencing stress. Let's talk to help us. Will you? So, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of us when it comes to stress and I was, it was so helpful for me in that as you said, that drive to always be learning that I think was a factor in, in why I, my first career was in investigative journalism, because I really like figuring stuff out and learning. Um, I really confused stressors with stress. I thought they were the same thing, right? And so what I, when I was stressed out, I spent a lot of time wailing and gnashing my teeth at the stressors. What does that look like? If only, if only that person would act differently, that person which I have no control over because they are not me and we have no control over other people. If they would just act differently, if only they would have different thoughts, if only they would communicate better with other people. And I was hyper-focusing on stressors, which by the way, 
in almost every case, I had no control over those stressors. So one of the things that I like to do with clients is anybody who's had therapy, like, which I hope you all have, because we all need it. And I certainly have, um, is I, you, you may have done this exercise where you just kind of draw a circle in the middle of a piece of paper. I think I put a grocery list at the top of my circle, so I'm just going to use that one. <laughs> but in, in that circle, if we can put the stressors in our life that we can control inside and the stressors in our life that we can't control outside, so right now that would be, for instance, the timing of a pandemic vaccine or uh, setting public policy around our behaviors in, in a pandemic. Um, we understand that we spend a lot of time focusing on stressors outside of the circle. Mm -hmm. And when we focus on stressors outside of the circle, we are often having what I describe as internal tantrums. I want, you know, it's like a little kid that goes to the um, amusement park and says, mommy, and it gets shut down because of thunderstorms. Mommy, make it stop raining. Make the thunderstorm go away right now, right? Very appropriate for a toddler to have um, a tantrum by arguing with reality. But it's right. not so appropriate when we, as a, when we are doing that and we actually stress ourselves out more. So I think it's important for us to kind of slow down, acknowledge this is hard, right? We don't have to be all rainbows and unicorns about this and let ourselves feel our feelings, right? But we don't have to act from the activated state when we have those feelings, right? So I had a client who was very frustrated with an executive client, very frustrated with communication that came from a boss and said, I've had it. I'm done. I'm going to quit. And I said, your choice. You're an autonomous human being. You've indicated to me that you like this job. You find it fulfilling and meaningful. And it's sort of crossing a lot. It seems to be checking a lot of boxes for you. Why don't you just do this? Go out, have, exert yourself, have some exercise, feel those emotions while you're exercising, go take a towel and whack it against the railing or the wall, let yourself get mad, and then make a decision when you're not actually in an activated emotional state. I'm not saying push your feelings down. Definitely, all feelings have a right to life. Feel it. But let's not act or communicate until the feeling has had a chance to be processed. Next day, it's like, yeah, that was a really, you know, crappy move that this boss made in communication, but I'm going to have a tough conversation and then I'll decide what to do before I just take the action from that activated emotion state. And I was like, yeah, we all tend to like how things turn out when we can process that emotion. So what's, what's in our control? What's out of our control? What are we feeling? Let ourselves process that emotion and then be willing to reframe what's what we're thinking i think that's another um you know another interesting thing and beth you and i have had conversations right because we both have kids in college and we have no control over what college's policies are in relation to whether kids get to stay in school or not stay in school and and that is a stressor and i had another um uh, executive coaching client that that called me and said oh i'm so mad and and spent a long time just ex expressing a lot of frustration saying the school district that her, or the school that her daughter went to. They just don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They're handling this completely wrong. And I said, you know, is that true? And she said, yeah, it's true. Of course, probably objectively, we don't know whether it's true, right? Because that's an opinion more than a measurable, but it certainly yes. was her opinion and it certainly felt true. So I said, okay, if it's true, is it helpful? Mm-hmm. And she said, mm, well, I don't know, maybe not, but I don't know how to think anything differently because I feel so frustrated. 
And so we just, I said, is there anything else, the way to reframe that thought into something that might be more helpful? And she said, well, yeah, maybe um, the school district is trying the best it can. And I was like, is that helpful? And she goes, well, I don't know. She goes, oh, wait a second. What I really want is for my daughter, we'll call her Katie, Katie, to have the chance to be inspired and learn something this Mm -hmm. semester. Mm -hmm. She said, oh, that is helpful. All of a sudden, she said, now I'm coming up with ideas of ways that we can do plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, so that I can help contribute. And we as a family unit with resources available to us can help make sure that she learns something and remembers something and has some inspiration through this very strange time. Um, uh, Since I can't control however this plays out with the school district. And so that reframing is another really helpful thing for us to do this time once we have gotten ourselves out of that activated stress state. Okay, so one of the things I'm wondering about, just so I want to be clear, first of all, I love that idea of it may be true, but is it helpful? We've talked about that before. So when you're having these thoughts, you're saying, is this, we're going to teach ourselves to stop? And and so like, let's just say you're having this thought, you're going around and around and around with this thought. What do we do then before Oh, that's so true. I mean, don't we? We just swirl around in it like it's a toilet. And, and another thing. And <laughs> another way. It. When I'm in it, I'm believing it. It's yes, true. It. You know, yeah. it's positive. Yeah. It's all true. Yeah. So there's this whole branch of, of brilliant um, therapy that I have found really helpful called um, acceptance and commitment therapy. And a lot of what that is about is just noticing our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of my favorite things to do is, this is really challenging and brilliant, everybody, hold on to your hats, is to say, huh, I notice I'm having the, there's not enough time thought again. I notice I'm having the, they're all effing idiots thought again. In the act of noticing, instead of having that threat center of our brain called the amygdala, which is about the size of two walnuts back here, which is good because it can drive, it's a good appropriation of it because it will drive us nuts if we're not careful. It's this very primitive part of our brain, the amygdala, which will take over with danger, warning, alert signals, and literally hijack our more um, advanced way of thinking about things. When we say, oh, I notice I'm having that there's not enough time thought again. I notice I'm having the they're all idiots. I notice I'm, 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 I'm trying to control stressors, which I really are not within my control. Um, then if I had, a, if, not if I did, I'm not a neurobiologist. If, you know, your friendly neighborhood neurobiologist had you hooked up to functional MRI technology all over your head, they would see your whole neocortex uh, lighting up, the part of your brain that can pivot, that can handle plot twists, that can innovate and take catalysts of change and allow us to think of new things to come out of it. That part of our brain, we can problem solve Mm -hmm. instead of problem stalling. And Mm -hmm. um, it's a really effective way to do it. So that I notice I'm having it is a way to do it. Another one is to um, process our stress. Um, how do we do that? Exercise. I know everybody. I wish I had a sexier answer. Explain what you mean say. by that. <laughs> Explain what you mean by that, Jill. Like, because I've said this before, 
tell us what you mean when so we're having this feeling right we have this bad feeling then what do you mean by exercise so i mean so i notice i'm having that there's not enough time thought again okay i'm noticing it but i still feel like i'm in an activated stress state it's really helpful for me to put my tennis shoes on and go outside and walk at a pace that allows my heart to elevate a little bit and then to let myself get good and pissed while i take that walk sorry to use a um you know technical psychological term, but allow myself to feel that feeling and to have that stress come up because my body, I, I wish I could say the best thing to do to treat sex, sex is to, pour, to, to treat stress is sex or to pour yourself a big glass of wine and watch Netflix. Wouldn't that be awesome? But we know biochemically from all the research that exercise metabolizes stress hormones in a way that nothing else does. Again, we know it's good for our body, blah, blah, blah. But then the emerging research is just unequivocal that it is absolutely the best way to heal from stress and to process stress and to get out of activated stress is to exert ourselves. You don't have to turn into a gym rat. You don't have to start running if you hate running. Some form of exertion, even in seven-minute increments. And there's these great apps you can put on your phone, seven minutes to fitness, or I like to call them seven minutes to maybe slightly more sanity, <laughs> but anything that allows some exert, even yoga, I, I don't care what you're doing, but we know that exercise or some form of exertion allows those chemicals, the cortisol, the stuff that's shooting through our veins, it's not good for our brains or our bodies to get metabolized. There are even new research that's saying that if somebody had a lot of childhood trauma, ACEs, adverse childhood effects, that exercise is one of the ways that, that helps process trauma. So I wish I could, you know, give us a less, uh, uh, give you um, a sexier answer, but exercise is important. Meditation and mindfulness is important. And if you're like me, you're like, yeah, yeah, I don't have time to meditate. I, that's for other people. I'm, you know, I, I don't want to do that. And I, but I couldn't deny the research, right? Any form of meditation or mindfulness helps our brains do a better job of being able to press that pause on the swirl, help us to reframe thinking, helps us to get in the present moment. Because when we're in an activated stress state in that swirl, we tend to be projecting forward with scary stories about things we can't know about. They're just made up movies about the future. Or we ruminate backwards um, about things that we, by the way, can't change at all. And so mindfulness is simply coming here now. A neurobiologist taught me a trick once that if you just take this hand, one of your hands, I don't care which one, and gently wrap your other hand around it, that has a soothing, um, it's a soothing way for our nervous system to quiet down a bit and it brings us into the present moment. That's all mindfulness is, is being here now. Meditation helps our, the muscle in our brain, if you will, and I know there's no muscles in our brains, but you're being a neurologist, yeah, not a neurobiologist, but that's how we get that there. And that, and then the other one is community coming together like this in conversations where we express ourselves and learn things and care about each other and going out and socially distancing in a park um, and being in, in together in community and in nature. They're also really good ways for us to process our stress. What about, um, there's one more you talked about the kitchen towel. I always thought yeah. that was interesting. <laughs> I'm always encouraging people to beat towels around the house. So yeah, I learned that when I was taking some, when I was um, studying a little bit and I'm, I'm not a trauma, a trauma researcher or a trauma expert. I don't treat trauma. I'll, anybody who has had adverse childhood effects, we all need to heal from that with the support of a um, psychologist or licensed therapist that has training in that area. And 
anytime we're in that activated stress state or feeling feelings coming up about something that's happened that drives us nuts, um, that one of the ways that we can process emotion is by get not getting mad and and being mad at a person, but taking something like a towel or an inanimate object and beating it against a railing or a wall and letting that emotion of anger or frustration or hopelessness come up is a way, again, that we process it, metabolize it, move it through as opposed to either stuffing it down or acting from it in a way that causes or inflicts um, pain and injury on somebody else. So it leaves our system. In other words, we experience it and we want it to move through our system, so it leaves. Okay, there's one more thing I wanted to ask. There's so much, and if anybody has a question, remember, put it in the chat. And if you have something you admire about Jill, put it in the chat. But this idea of, um, I suck. I'm the worst person in the world. I've, I've heard some people say this recently about themselves. What would you do with that? And you, oh, you talked about something recently about the work we do and how important it is to think about the work we do in a way, or our, whatever we are doing in the world, to think about our why. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that might even relate to I suck? Well, I think um, anytime we are um, giving ourselves internal criticism that involves blame or shame, um, it's usually a sign that um, something is, is, is festering or not really helpful going on inside of our heads. Um, I find, especially in this time, there's just a lot of people that are comparing themselves to other people. Somebody else is out you know, planting gardens and making their house beautiful and I'm sitting home and watching copious amounts of Netflix and fighting with my kids and letting them watch TV all day. And what happens a lot of times is then we think that we're going to motivate ourselves by beating ourselves up with um, extremely um, <laughs> cruel self-talk in using a tone of voice that we would never use with our worst enemy. And so I think it's super important to, again, back to that acceptance and commitment therapy thing, to notice, oh yeah, I'm, I notice I'm um, beating myself up and I noticed I was beating myself up yesterday and I was beating myself up before lunch and after lunch and it doesn't seem to be changing my behavior or um, delivering very meaningful results. It's not very helpful, right? Helpful thoughts tend to elicit more helpful results. So noticing is going to be really helpful. And I love to, one of the ways that I find when we get in those swirly pattern places of feeling stuck or negative or hurtful toward ourselves is by remembering that our definition of success is what am I doing that matters to me intrinsically? Not what the world tells me I should be doing or what I, how I measure up to anybody else. But my definition of success is doing what matters to you in a balanced and sustainable way. So if you're doing something that matters to you, but you're doing it in a way that is involving overwork and overpressurization and perfectionism and not taking breaks and not refilling your tank, it's not going to be sustainable, right? You're going to burn yourself out. And often people find out that if they're doing things just for the sake of, of um, trying to meet somebody else's externalized standard of what's good enough, that in the end doesn't feel successful. So my favorite quick story about that is um, – comes from Taylor Swift, 
little T Swifty wisdom here. Um, and I, in her documentary Americana, I think it was, uh, which I watched on Netflix earlier this year. Um, she talked about the fact that all she, she kept settled these goals in the first um, part of her career that what she wanted to was to win the Grammy for album of the year. And then she was going to have made it. She will know she was there. She achieved it. And that was going to do it. That was her goal. And the night she won that Grammy, she came home, she sat there by herself and said, I got it. I have this extrinsic, this internal hardware to show that I'm finally there, wherever the hell there is. I've made it. And I'd never felt more lonely, <laughs> unsure of myself, insecure, uh, unhappy with the people that I'd kind of stepped over, um, struggling to try to be skinny enough and perfect enough yes. by everybody else's standards. And she said in that moment, she had this internal pivot like, oh, I can't, whatever the world's telling me I need to achieve in terms of success is not going to do it for me. I have to come up with from that inside out way to discover things that are meaningful with my own autonomy and, and, and speak from, be driven from something else. And it worked. All right. I have to say right now, I don't know about you guys on the call. I have chills. Just thinking about that. We have some teachers on the call and we have so many magnificent people on this call right now. And, and people may be listening to this. We'll have a podcast tomorrow that'll come out that people can share. But then first of all, with these teachers who are on the call, I hope you understand how incredibly valuable you are right now. You know, you're always valuable, but right now, what you are doing for the world. And when we're talking about that notion of, of I suck and the notion of attaching or connecting with your, your why, but it's like your why. So a teacher's why could be, you, it could be making somebody, just making somebody feel safer in this world right now. Just the notion, I mean, sometimes even making a person feel welcome can be a why. I'm making people feel welcome. I, 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 you know, it's amazing how simple it can be, right? It doesn't have to be, I'm saving the world. It can be, I'm making people feel welcome. Or, so I think that's really powerful. The Taylor Swift story is really powerful. And the teachers, and there is a teacher on the call who said, what do I do when my kiddos say they suck? And I'm wondering, can you help them attach to their why? Is that one of the things you'd say, Joe? Um, I just, I, I think the, the uh, I think the most helpful thing when we hear other people using um, language that doesn't sound helpful is to just gently and very lovingly say, "Oh, I can hear what you're saying there. I'm not sure that's very helpful." I, I sometimes think things about myself that I'm when I'm being hard on myself, and I find out that's not very helpful for me. Here's something I notice in you. That's really cool. Can you find that in yourself too? That would be a potential redirect, right? You know, of course, if it were my kid, I'd be like, quit saying that. <laughs> not, not helpful. Well, that's, so you know, I've learned a lot from my friend, Beth, reflecting on what you're hearing. So it's acknowledging it, right? And then giving a chance to, without dictating or telling somebody they should think differently, inviting them into a reframe that might be end up more helpful. Now, Let me know. Try it out, teachers. Let me know if it works out. And if I'm full of crap on that, I will do some more research to figure out a more effective way. I love what you said. First of all, just to make it all about me, I'm sorry, guys. Jill and I do a column together for Town & Style called The Honest Truth. So we have this monthly opportunity to get together, respond to some viewer questions or reader questions, and then we battle it out in a fun way, not even battle. We discuss, well, what we might discuss for an hour and a half, two hours. What would you say to the person who's 
trying to break up with her hairdresser. That was like a pre-pandemic problem. You know, oh my gosh, I'm trying to break up with my hairdresser. How do I do it? And I mean, Jill had a hilarious, a hilarious answer. But this is the thing about Jill, what I love, and I, I encourage everybody who has a chance to have more Jill, follow Jill. Where can people follow you if they want more Jill? Oh, you can come on to social media. Um, soon I'm going to have a new website, but I, I, I'm reinvigorating uh, my newsletter with some new articles that I'm working on around stress and success. So um, if you just send me a, a, a quick email, I'll type it in the, the chat just to Jill at jillfarmer.com. Um, I will add you to my, um, to my list of communications so you can hear what I'm up to and, and expect to um, get some more ideas and content for me. This, this pandemic time has given me some new time to write and create and think a little bit differently about that. So I hope everybody here um, will, will join in the continued conversation around Please, these subjects. I appreciate that you want people to connect and you can get, Jill is, as you know, for those of you who know her, she wants to connect and wants to solve problems, wants to help. There's a really important uh, person on this call, Jane Farmer, your daughter, who just wrote in, my favorite lighthearted, she's a wise one, by the way, also very wise, so is Peyton, Jill's other daughter. My favorite lighthearted response when a friend talks negatively about themselves is, hey, don't talk about my friend like that. We often talk to ourselves much more harshly than we would talk to loved ones. I love that, Jane. It's incredible. Yeah, that's um, good stuff, Janer. Something else, guys. As you know, Get Ignited is part of the Ignite Method, and it's free. And I'm so glad that we have this opportunity to connect with you all. And Jill's giving us her time. If somebody feels so moved, I ask every speaker now in the fall season to tell us, what's an organization you love, Jill, that we could make a contribution to. If we feel so moved, no pressure to the community. So for me, that is the Boys and Girls Club of Greater St. Louis. Um, my husband, John, has been a mentor in the Mentor St. Louis program, which is um, in the Boys and Girls Club of Greater St. Louis for over 20 years. And that has led us to some of the most meaningful relationships in our family's experience um, of uh, people who live here in St. Louis. And John, um, my dear husband, almost 28 years, um, has is on the board of directors for the Boys and Girls Club. And what we have learned is there is so much good stuff happening. We all hear about the crime rates and and um, people getting in the system. The Boys and Girls Club is doing incredible work at a grassroots impactful level at taking um, kids in challenging situations and giving them the resources not just to survive but to thrive and succeed and it's an incredibly heartwarming and um, beautiful experience to see what the work that they're doing and so I invite you to um, look up um, more information about the Boys and Girls Club of Greater St. Louis and to feel good about being on the ground floor of supporting the incredible work they're doing. Fantastic, I think there's a link in the chat for anybody who's so moved. And I wanna tell you, before we dive into some really interesting things about Jill's past, um, next week, it's gonna be at a different time. Every week it's at 5 p.m. Central Time, Get Ignited is, and we're in our fall season. This all was born during the pandemic when it started. Um, as a way to help people stay inspired. And the Ignite Method was also created then as a way to help people discover their genius, what it is that you do that's incredibly special that you probably don't see in yourself. And if you understood it, it could be very inspirational to you and help you do more of it on purpose. Next week at 1 p.m., our guest will be arriving from Kenya, Dr. Karambu Rangera. She's an incredible woman. She's um, an international 
change agent, peacemaker. She is, was a McCain fellow. Um, she speaks at the UN often, and she has a home for children in Kenya. When people were dying of HIV, mothers, the elders in her community reached out to her and said, can you help? She said, what can I do? Well, the country gave her a piece of land that was scrap, and she made it into a food forest. We have on this call today, Nancy Ross, who has been um, very involved with international peace initiatives and who introduced us to Dr. Karambu Ringera, and she ran international peace initiatives for a long time. And we are really honored that next week we'll have Karambu with us. Um, Nancy, if you wanna chat anything in, please chat something in. And um, we hope that next week you'll join us at 1 p.m. Central. Now, back to Jill Farmer. Let's take a little turn. We're gonna go back to, Jill was a celebrity. She doesn't like to say that. She hates when I bring it up because she doesn't, she doesn't, that never meant being a celebrity wasn't what it was about for her. It was about being competent and doing her job well. Well, she did her job so well, and we might take a little pit stop on her doing her job so well. Tell us about that classic story. There's a line, I put it in our story today on Instagram, and not, and only one hog was lost. So when I was a uh, college student in Des Moines, Iowa, getting ready to graduate, I had the opportunity to have an internship and my, um, and yep, there I am, Channel 8 News in Des Moines. And my news director at the time um, gave me a chance to actually do a real live story on the weekend. And I was so excited that I, I, I saved up my own money to fly myself back from spring break. I'd driven down the panhandle with some friends in order to do this job, this story. And my sister and my husband were watching my first live shot or my first package on local news on the Saturday night from a bar in downtown. And I very seriously at the end of the um, package, it was on tornado. We chased a tornado around and it had, it had hit one farm. And I very seriously, with, with great gravitas, looked into the camera and said, only one hog was lost. Jill Farmer, Channel 8 News. So for years, my husband and my sister and other people in my family, when I was getting a little too full of myself, would stop, look at me and say, and remember, only one hog was lost. Um, so you see why everybody loves Jill. She's so real and she's so incredibly talented and everybody wants her. I mean, all, everybody oh, wants her, Jill. But then being in so TV news is very humbling though, Beth. You oh, think let's it, talk it about gives that. you. I mean, I, you know, you, I've told you this story before, but yes, my favorite, my photographer and I were in a, um, I mean, when I would walk in with my news camera rolling and to an interview with somebody in an office, the lady would say, wait, are you the news lady? I watch the news every night. I don't know who you are. The only time people would recognize me is when I was buying, you know, tampons and red wine at 630 in the morning at the grocery store with no makeup on. Um, but the, the most humbling story of all, which was very helpful, was I was on a, it was at keeping me grounded. I was on an elevator with one of our photographers and this lady gets on and she was looking at me and she's looking at me and she said, no offense, but you look a lot like that Jill Farmer that's on the news. And then she gets off the elevator and my photographer said, I think she just offended you twice <laughs> with her no offense. <laughs> and I was like, mm, that's okay. <laughs> no offense. Oh my God, that's so funny. Now, sometime you put your interviewer hat uh, back on. Talk a little bit about your recent experience at your alma mater. Yeah, I got to go back to Drake University where I uh, graduated from college very proudly. They have a, a, a really great lecture series where they bring everybody from Bill Nye, the science guy, to Maya Angelou, 
And last year they brought in Megan Rapinoe, who's one of the greatest um, athletes of all time. Um, that's me doing my, I guess, Oprah uh, <laughs> to an audience of almost 8,000 people in their um, sports stadium came in to listen to Megan. And the format she did for her keynote, instead of standing up and just giving a keynote, was a question to answer. She let me ask her anything we wanted. And it was a very delightful, fast-moving hour of big authenticity, hitting some controversial subjects head on. And it was super fun to put that um, interviewer hat back on. And I was inspired and learned a lot. And um, the whole fam got to be there too. That's Jane, Aff the aforementioned Jane Farmer and John Farmer. And our oldest daughter who just had started her real life job in Boston at the time was not there, was not happy that we left her out of that experience, but um, she watched it. And I know with great pride, all of your young viewers were on, I mean, and fans and people, they were streaming it. And I know Jane with great pride, uh, really was proud of you. I mean, proud of the job you did. So. It was a great, it was just a great experience to have an authentic conversation with somebody who's been a change maker. Um, uh, controversial or not, she has, she has uh, challenged um, the, the world of sports and the way things are done um, and the way women are, athletes are compensated um, in a very uh, brave way. And it was, it was very cool to be part of that conversation. Okay, let's go back to the beginning. Um, you have to ask yourself, everybody has to ask themselves, how is Jill like this? How can you be so talented and so good and so successful? I mean, how many people become very successful at an anchor move on, and then become very successful as a consultant coach and motivational speaker. She speaks to huge audiences and is in high demand as a speaker, even through a pandemic. But how does she end up so down to earth? And let's talk a little bit about where you're from. So I grew up in a small, well, I was born in Thunder Bay, Ontario, Canada, and lived the first parts of my life in Canada. And then um, it Starting around school age, we moved to an interesting town of about 10,000 people in the southeastern part of Iowa, which is where I lived until I graduated from high school. And then my parents moved out to Colorado, so I had some time in my college years in Colorado. But it was an, it really um, – my dad is uh, a Lutheran pastor. My mom was a teacher, was kind of a, what I would consider a pretty normal middle-of-the-road Midwestern small-town upbringing, except my small town is the the – the birthplace and home of um, transcendental meditation in the world. And so I had this really interesting exposure of a rather worldly um, experience, even in this, you know, what we would consider far away from the worldliness of a, a metropolitan area to be in this city. So it was a really cool place. And so there's the, the founder of the university that took place in, that was in my hometown. It was a guy named Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. He was, the Beatles were big fans of his. Um, I, the, when I was in, in elementary school, the Beach Boys came to town to, to meet with him and actually, I think, um, recorded an a, um, album. Later on, I was working at Ben Franklin Family Center in high school. I got to wait on Mike Love from the Beatles because he would come back into town. And Doug Henning, I met him once at a, so it was at a coffee shop. So it was a weird and interesting place to grow where there was a chance to be exposed to some things beyond sort of small town mentality, um, but also that safe and secure environment to sort of be who I was and, um, and be accepted for who I was and to define success, I think, from that inside out experience. I think those seeds were, were planted. In That's what I years. think is one of the most amazing things about you, Jill, is that you're so comfortable in your own skin and you're very self-deprecating. You talk about when you lose it, um, but you know, so you're not saying that you're perfect, 
but it's this, this, it's, well, this is what once Jill said about being from her hometown. There's a sense of living in a nice, safe, small town. And at the same time, it was an important place. And I really think that's a metaphor for Jill. She's, you feel very, she feels safe, but important. And I just wonder to what extent Fairfield fostered that in you and your experience with your family. Well, I think, I think we, um, I think initially when this university took over in the early 70s from a very beloved small college that kind of went belly up and then these, you know, people coming in from internationally, there was a lot of tension between sort of the townies and the university that by the time I was coming of age in the late 70s and early 80s was healing and, and there was an acceptance and an understanding that we could come at life from, from, from different perspectives. I mean, there was still some, you know, small town ignorance stuff that would come out and, and some judgment sometimes from people moving in from other parts of the country, they could be um, underestimate the sophistication of, of people who had stayed in this town. But for the most part, there was, there was a lot of willingness to kind of expand. And I, and I really do believe Beth, that we're all important, that we all have wherever we came from that, 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 you know, you're fascinated about other people's stories. And, and I think we all, if we listen to each other more carefully, we all have really interesting stories and perspectives and, um, and ways of synthesizing um, our experience in the world. Um, and so I think that's cool um, to, to take time to listen to each other and to learn that from each other. Well, I love that you said that. And I do think it's so important is um, the idea of really understanding what is special about somebody's story and and what is special about them because we each have gifts and talents and so often they're unconscious to us i call that unconscious competence and um i think that shining a light on that is so important but i think that's one of the things that is so wonderful about you is because some there's something that happens like people who are raised in lots of dysfunction there are lots of things that come out of that too that can be incredibly valuable right dysfunction and I'm sure knowing Jill she'll say oh I had dysfunction too but it's like but you had an awful lot of um obviously a lot of love it, the way you you're just something about you just feels very safe to be with you and to be friends with you and to be working with you and um, for anybody I don't know if you're still taking individual coaching clients but if you are there's no better to coach I was just talking to somebody who's on this call and she was telling me about a coaching experience she had recently. And she was a little bit overwhelmed with all the tasks the coach gave her to bring her life into order. And I said, oh, my God, you got to work with Jill. She loves to bring light structure to you. In other words, to meet you where you are and give you some light structure. So it's just what you need to get go for, forward. I, wanna, I, think, I mean, I really I just want to add one thing to that. I mean, I none of us had perfect families. Some of us had families that the folks were a little uh, had their own wounds that then they perpetuated generationally, which creates trauma and more wounds. And, but every one of us, you know, whatever we all, I, I always say my family put the fun and dysfunctional. And I think that's true for all of us. Um, there's things that could, could have been better things that could have been worse. And so I think it's, um, it's understanding that, that, the, that we got to take some responsibility for healing from whatever was there. Good therapy has certainly helped me along the way perspective shifting um, uh, through the support of other resources that were outside of me. That's, that's I think, how we get confident and grounded is not because we're either born that way or were raised a certain place or had a certain kind of whatever. I think it's just the, the willingness 
to say, yeah, I could use some help and support and, and love here and um, reach out to get it. Well, let me ask you this. I don't know, Jill, if you have a couple of minutes to stay after the show, after this at the six o'clock mark, if you do, um, if you don't, that's okay. Um, but if you do, we might have, I have a question for you that came in from everybody. I want to say to everybody, Jill is an Ignite coach. We have a 14 Ignite coaches in our 2020 cohort who are willing to um, be a part of the Ignite method. Jill has her own business going on, but these are people who are in support of the Ignite method. We have resources, places we can point you. Um, and it's and Jill's really been a big supporter of this. So I'm really appreciative. I absolutely adore Jill. And if you guys are okay and you can see why, um, everybody, it's time. I know you're focusing, you're sending things in. Let's shine a light on Jill. Part of the Ignite method is what we call the glow, which is noticing and basking in the basking in the glow of the fire. Jill's a fully ignited person. What are you seeing in Jill? We'll share a few things. And while you're typing them in, um, I want to say, and somebody can speak up. We can unmute you and you can speak. Um, if Jill has a few minutes afterwards, Nancy Ross had a great question about what do we do about young people right now in the pandemic and the stress they're feeling. There are lots of really good questions. Um, but if anybody wants to speak, you can unmute yourself and just say what you're noticing. Um, let me just say uh, quickly, Sandy, I think, yeah, there's, I mean, uh, uh, Nancy, I know that you uh, had shared that question. I think um, perspective is helpful, right? It can sort of feel like as somebody is in their 20s is sort of in this, like, here I am supposed to be launching my life and the launch pad just got really screwed up. <laughs> this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And so to be able to give a perspective and say, hey, this has happened historically uh, in different ways for all kinds of different generations of people. And they came out stronger and more resilient and more flexible. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be complaining and you were not saying to anybody who's in their twenties, you should be lucky and understand that old people and uh, people in olden times had it hard too, but helping to have some perspective that feels safe to understand that it, it doesn't mean that things are going to get screwed up or that, that, that you're not going to have the same opportunities to thrive and to shine. You're just going to do it with a major plot twist um, in the beginning of launching life and careers and relationships and all the things that happen in our 20s um, in a way. Um, and you might need to get some more support and you might need to to take better care of yourself during that time because it's, it's hard. Beth and I have talked a lot about the fact that this is, she talks about um, our, the Ignite method and our strengths being an app that's running in the background of, our, uh, of how we show up in the world. And I've been saying, repeating uh, the words of other psychologists I've heard, the pandemic is an app that's running in the background that's yeah. draining our flipping batteries <laughs> that we wish we could just get rid of that app and we can't right now. But we also then have to be honest about our battery capacity because if that yeah. app is running and it's draining us down, we need to be a little more authentic, honest about that. And, um, and, and, and be able to, um, to, to deal in that space. All right. Now, Jill, you probably want, you're avoiding, you might be even wanting to avoid the glow, but I'm going to make sure you get a little bit of this glow. There's so many comments that have come in. Lynn McKaig, best line ever. The thought is twirling around in my brain like a toilet. I think I will. I mean, that's a great Jill Farmer quote. I think we should put that on coffee mugs. Okay. Cavney Howard, who's on this call, amazing high performance person. Thank you, Jill. I agree that you come to this work with so much compassion, wonderful insights. By the way, when I say Lynn McKaig, who said that, 
<laughs> she's the best at identifying the perfect quote. That's a great quote. Um, we have a um, Elizabeth Hardesty O'Keefe. This is the perfect conversation to combat the internal struggles that are happening today. Thank you for such concrete suggestions to combat. I'm not good enough or I'm not accomplishing enough during COVID era. Thank you. And Liz inspires so many people. Um, let's see, Gail, Coach Gail, your authenticity and humility, Jill is inspiring. Ellen Sewell, thank you. I always enjoy reading your columns. Thank you so much. We're glad you read them. And um, thanks for commenting on that. Um, we have, it's just so many wonderful comments. Now, here we are, it's one minute till we wrap. Um, I just wanna say to you, Jill, thank you so much for being here. And I wanna say to the group who showed up, thank you so much for being here. You, whether you were muted and doing your own thing or whatever you were doing and what you brought to this, the energy, the collective energy matters. And it's really incredible to, oh, I have a request to read a few more comments here. I wanted to. Lynn, she's articulate, down to earth, a brilliant speaker and motivator, and she has great hair. Lynn is my cousin. <laughs> Hello, Lynn. That's such an awesome comment. I'm so glad you love Jill, too. Um, is it Izzy Saygraves? Amazing. She's in Chicago. Absolutely everything. Jill has managed to make so many things that I'm struggling with seem so much more straightforward to work through, especially loving the circle method. As a visual person, I love thinking inside versus outside the circle. Thinking about that. Awesome, Izzy. Amy. Is this Amy Chesterton? Maybe my sister-in-law. I love her transparency and energy. I know. You need more Jill in your life. Everybody here needs more Jill in your I really want Jill to have a show. Okay, I'm sorry. It's, she's just the perfect person to talk about anything. Nena, amazing. Jill's best quality is her willingness to be vulnerable enough to be authentic with everyone she meets. Beautiful. Michelle Hoffman from San Francisco, you are clearly educated, grounded, and well-rooted enough to provide insight and stability to others with a compassionate perspective. What a tremendous gift. I think it's important to know that your father was a pastor in a very inclusive church. It was all about inclusivity. It was, and I, you know, I know religion is, is a source of pain in some people's lives because of feeling excluded or not able to be themselves. And I feel fortunate that the particular flavor that I was exposed to was not, um, didn't inflict um, any of those separations. So I know that's a very individual and personal journey for people based on their own exposure, but I feel fortunate that for me, it was a, it was a positive. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, okay. First of all, just we need to wrap, but I want to say this because there's a couple more. Izzy's in London, not Chicago. Thank you, Sandy. Very important. Um, I also want to say that uh, Mary Elizabeth Grimes says, Jill, you help others redefine their purpose in the midst of what feels like confusion, defeat, or failure. Michelle Stockman says, we need new TV shows to watch, and I would watch Jill for sure. Jill and Beth together. Positive TV. Thank you, Michelle. You'll have to be on it, too. Um, and then Caitlin, Jill, thanks for taking the weight of the world off my shoulders. I feel like this will actually help me be a better mom. Without further ado, everybody, Jill Farmer, thank you. This is a big hug from all of us to everyone here. Thank you. And hopefully um, everybody will have a good evening. I know it'll be much better. Thanks to Jill Farmer. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the next conversation with our Get Ignited guest, please follow us on Facebook or Instagram at The Ignite Method. Thank you.